And thank you for coming back. Ladies, I hope that you've had an enjoyable day and were able to enjoy some of this wonderful, wonderful weather. Finally, spring is here. We're continuing our study tonight of 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage. We have looked at the importance of love. Now we're moving to the verses that depict certain qualities of love. Uh, Last week we considered the thought that love is patient and kind. Tonight it is love does not envy or boast. Envy is sorrow over what others have and we do not have. Envy prevents us from being happy for other people's good fortune. There is a sense in which envy and jealousy are synonyms, but there is a nuance of difference between envy and jealousy, although sometimes this word is translated both ways, into English. But there are two kinds of envy that we want to consider tonight. First, the one kind of envy manifests itself in the words, I wish I had what you had. It is to be self-centered and want for oneself what someone else has or possesses. That usually manifests itself in a word that we would refer to as covetous. To be covetous is to want what someone else has. And the extreme expression of covetousness would be stealing. It would be wanting to deprive that person of something, and uh, you want what they have, and so you steal it. You take it away from them. The second kind of envy manifests itself in the words, I wish you didn't have what you have. It is to desire harm or evil to come to someone, to not want to see a person prosper or get ahead or be recognized. So a word that we might use to depict that thought is resentment, to resent someone else. It is an evil that does not want to see one better themselves, or especially better than we are. Our society is really struggling with that kind of envy, uh, the idea that everybody has to be equal. Everybody has to be treated the same. We don't want to see people wealthy. We don't want to see people promoted. We don't want to see people honored. We don't want to see people recognized but people want to be treated all the same, all the same. And again, it is resentment over what someone else has. And so we want to deprive them of what they have. They may have joy. 
And so we might insult them to deprive them of the joy that they possess. It's the thinking that results in vandalism. Or a person that walks by a brand spanking new beautiful automobile parked on a parking lot and takes a key out of their pocket and decides they're going to scratch the whole length of that car. Doesn't better them, doesn't help them, but somehow it brings them joy because they have marred what somebody else has and possesses. So that's the second kind of envy, the desiring to do harm to someone else. Um, Now, it's pretty extreme, but in a, a, quote, loving relationship, that might mean name-calling. That might mean uh, putting someone else down. It is seeking to sap the joy out of their lives. Now, tonight, we're going to look at two examples. The first is a positive example of love. In this example, there is not a tinge of envy in the relationship between, uh, oh, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. The first is, a, is an example of uh, this envy where the brothers of Joseph serve as an example of not wanting Joseph to prosper. The brothers of Joseph were envious of Joseph, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him to Egypt, and God was with him. So the text tells us that what motivated the brothers of Joseph to sell him was, in fact, their jealousy, their envy of Joseph. So why did the brothers envy Joseph? We find out in verses 3 and 4. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and it made him a robe of many colors. So unfortunately, Jacob had a favorite child. And in this instance, it is because he is born of his favorite wife and he is born late in his life And so he prizes Joseph over the other children. Now you can imagine how that's going to create unrest. And not only did he harbor this greater love for Joseph than his other children, but he demonstrated it. He manifested it. And he gave him this coat of many colors. It was a wealthy gift that he would have given. And so it separated him out. Other children didn't get that. That's what Joseph got. In verse 4, it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, notice they hated him. Opposite of love. So the manifestation of the brothers' envy was hatred. Hatred. See, love does not hate. Love does not manifest itself in jealousy. They hated Joseph. The demonstration of the brothers' envy of Joseph. And that is, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They couldn't have a good conversation. They couldn't have a pleasant relationship 
All right, they were always finding fault with Joseph. They were bickering, harboring grudges. They couldn't get along. The continuation of the brother's envy of Joseph. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Now, I didn't put these verses in, but I trust many of you know the story. And that is that Joseph receives a revelation from God in which God tells Joseph that uh, the brothers are going to bow down to him. So he tells them this story, and as a result, verse 8, they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So that just added to it. So they hated him. Summary statement, verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. The degree of the brothers' hatred for Joseph. Notice how bad it gets, verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. That's how much they allowed this hatred to grow. It had it had festered, it had deepened, it had grown to the place from just bickering and arguing and not able to get along to the place where they actually hate them and wanted to see him dead. It's tragic to see relationships deteriorate to that extent. But even, quote, loving relationships where people enter into marriage vows and commit to each other for life and express their love for one another, uh, sometimes envy enters into that relationship, bickering occurs, and it gets to a place where those people don't even want to live with each other any longer. They don't want to be under the same roof. They don't want to talk to them. They don't want to see them. And yes, there are spouses that actually have pulled the trigger and killed their marriage partner. That certainly isn't loving. But unchecked envy. And you see, envy can be over anything. You can uh, resent a person's looks. You can resent their freedom. You can resent their financial situation. It can be of host of different things. So the brothers vent their hatred for Joseph, verses 26 and following. Then Judah came to his brothers. What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianites, traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They let their animosity, they let their hatred, they let their envy get out of control. So it is certainly important that we learn to check our envy, our resentment, that we confess it, we confess it early, we ask the Lord to deliver us from it. We are seeking to be a different kind of person. Let's look at Jonathan. For here we have a supreme example of someone who was not envious or jealous of another. Jonathan, the son of Saul, serves as a positive example in loving someone and thus not being envious. First, Jonathan is a wonderful example of a human being exercising true biblical love in being totally devoid of envy. 
These are the words that David speaks upon Jonathan's death. He said, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. It's an unusual verse. It's a verse that is used by the gay community uh, to um, talk about how uh, the Bible condones Homosexuality. Uh, This is not a verse that are talking about a homosexual relationship between Jonathan and David. It is simply a statement that the love that Jonathan was showing to David was absolutely extraordinary. It is a love that David had not even found in a marital relationship. If you remember, David had a number of wives. But none of them cared for David the way that Jonathan cared for David. If you remember, the wives would be jealous. They'd be envious. Remember, Michael was upset when she saw David dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant and uh, said that he had demeaned himself before the people. Uh, So here is Jonathan. Jonathan and David fulfilled the second commandment by loving each other the way that they loved themselves. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Those aren't Jonathan's Jonathan's words. Those are the words of the narrator. Those are the words of the writers of Scripture, that Jonathan loved David the way that Jonathan loved his own soul. Jonathan wanted for David what Jonathan could easily have wanted for himself. That is supreme love in the scriptures. Love for God stands at the highest point, and then loving others the way that we love ourselves. That is, we want other people to experience what we would want to experience. We want to be happy, we want them to be happy. We want to be healthy, we want them to be healthy. You see, love never rejoices in bad news. Love love never is excited about someone else's downfall or failure. Love never gets excited about somebody else's F, but is happy with somebody else's A. Love wants what is right and good for others. Jonathan wanted for David what most people would want only for themselves. In Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, that's 1 Samuel, Saul is angered with Jonathan. And Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Saul could not understand Jonathan's love for David. And he certainly couldn't understand why Jonathan would protect David, why he would look out for him. Saul says, don't you get it? As long as he lives, you will never be king. Jonathan knew that. Jonathan was aware of that. Jonathan understood that God's will 
was for David to be king and Jonathan not to be king. And Jonathan was fine with that. That's unusual. Most people would think they had been deprived something that they deserve. Certainly in the day and age, it was understood that the kingdom would be passed down from father to son to grandson to great-grandson, and you would have a dynasty. But Jonathan protected David, guarded his life, and Saul can't understand it. Jonathan would never do harm uh, to David. 1 Samuel 20, verse 8, Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, or why should you bring me out for your father? Here there's a dialogue going on between Jonathan and David. And Jonathan says to David, we have a covenant that we have made before the Lord. I will never do you any harm. First Samuel 20, verse 9, And Jonathan said, Far be it from you, if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would not I tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out in the field. So they both went out in the field. It's a small reference, but it is likened unto Cain and Abel. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, Abel offers a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Cain offers a sacrifice that is unacceptable to God. The reason being, it was to be a sheep of the herd. Abel was a shepherd. He he guarded animal life, and so he offered that. Cain decided to offer the fruit of his produce. He was not a shepherd, but uh, he was a farmer, and he grew food, and he offered that, and it was unacceptable to God. And it says in the book of Genesis that they went out in the field together. They went alone to have a talk. But in that time alone to have a talk, Cain was actually leading Abel astray. And he got him alone so that he could do him great harm. And of course, uh, Cain ends up killing Abel as a result of his jealousy. But here... Jonathan and David go go out in a field to be alone where they could talk privately that no one would overhear, that no one else would be privy to what is being said. And Jonathan is assuring David, David, if my father is out to get you, I will tell you. I will deliver you. I will help you. I have made that covenant with God. You have nothing to fear. That is the way that Uh, David loved Jonathan and Jonathan loved David. They had nothing to fear in their relationship. This lack of envy means that there is nothing to fear in the relationship. One of my favorite verses out of Proverbs 31 that talks about a virtuous woman, it says concerning her that her husband safely trusts in her, for she will do him no harm. 
There are ways that we can harm each other. Uh, some of them rather small, but we can harm their feelings, put people down. We can talk bad about someone, destroy their reputation. Uh, we can do things to inflict pain, whether emotional or physical or mental. There's all kinds of abuse that we can levy. Love doesn't do any of that, for there is no desire to get ahead or have prominence over someone else. So let's look at this next one, for it goes together with it. It may not seem it at first, but it's a couplet. Love does not seek to create envy in others. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It does not boast. This is a very unusual word. It's found only here in the whole New Testament. It's not the usual term for a braggart. The emphasis is that love is not self-promoting. Love does not seek to elevate itself above others by putting other people down. But the idea here is it does not seek to create envy in others. It doesn't seek to create envy in others. It's hard to try to find illustrations of these things, although we, we all know them. And uh, it, it, it kind of reminds me of two three-year-olds in the nursery. One has a ball in their hand. The other one doesn't. The three-year-old with the ball holds it up and says, would you like the ball? The other three-year-old says, yes, I'd like the ball. And they take it. And they put it to their side, and I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> they, uh, they take it and they put it to their side. They love the idea that they have something that nobody else has. Sometimes collectors like just to show off what they have because they have something that nobody else has. You know, it isn't so bad to have what somebody else doesn't have, but to try to create unrest, to try to create dissatisfaction, to try to promote discontentment in someone else is wrong. And that could be on a whole scale of issues. Okay? Uh, you may not think of it this way, but flirting. Flirting is trying to tempt someone with something that they cannot have. To try to arouse feelings in someone else that are never going to be fulfilled, never going to be realized. To tempt someone with something else. To offer something to someone that they shouldn't have. For example, offering a drink to an alcoholic. Wanting to see someone else's downfall. Wanting to see them destroyed. Tripping someone. Doing something untoward. 
But the idea here is of vaunting oneself in order to purposely bring about dissatisfaction in someone else. It's like the person who gets an A on the test and then walks up to someone else and says, uh, what did you get on your test? Why do they ask them? Because they're waiting for them to ask them in return, what did you get? You know, I've gone to a lot of school in my life, and, uh, you know, I can't ever remember somebody coming up to me and saying, I got an F on my test, what did you get? You know, that doesn't usually happen that way. Trying to create discontentment in others. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't try to bring about dissatisfaction. It's not very loving for a group of people to get together and for us to talk bad about our spouses or or bad about our situations in order to try to get people to think less of them or try to promote ourselves in a uh, biblical, unhealthy way. Love does not envy. Does not want what somebody else has. Doesn't try to destroy what somebody else has. And doesn't try to make somebody else unhappy for what they don't have. Rather, true love, as the scripture says, rejoices with those that rejoice and weeps with those that weep. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to love one another. Certainly help us to to love our children, love our wives. Help us not to be envious of one another, jealous of one another. Help us to rejoice in each other's good fortune, promotions, wealth, possessions, their life, their experiences. Lord, help us to rejoice with those that have reason to rejoice. Help us to weep with those that have reason to weep. Help us not to be insensitive. Help us not to put them down. Help us not to create even more uh, dissatisfaction or unhappiness in their life by pointing out how much better we have it or by seeking to create within people unrest. Oh, Lord, may we truly love one another, even as Jonathan and David did, in which we want what is best for one another and that we make a covenant before our God that we will do nothing to harm one another but only to help one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.